All right. So this week we have another exciting interview with us. We have today Ashley Cotter Carnes. Ashley, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. My goodness, you have created a little niche for yourself in the comic uh, industry. I see. At least one. <laughs> yes, at least one. That's right. Um, so for those of our listeners that aren't familiar, because I know some of them are, um, for those that aren't, maybe a little bit of a rundown about who you are and what you're doing. Okay, well, I'm the owner of a website called sellmycomicbooks.com, and it's basically uh, – it's been described by somebody who doesn't really know anything about comic books but knows a lot about the internet as uh, an almanac of, of record prices and, and like minimum values for comic books. Um, the goal really was just to make it easier for people who have inherited or discovered a collection to find out what they've got and to get free appraisals online from us. And you know, as we're comic book dealers, it's a coincidence that we want to buy that stuff. So you know, we make them offers, and quite often they accept it. Oh, really? So you get quite a few acceptances, huh? Yeah, I'd say like it's about a sixty-five percent success rate. Yeah. Oh, that's a pretty decent success rate, though. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if if you think about the traditional comic book dealer, what they do is they go to shows, they advertise in in publications, they advertise locally, and they they hope to compete with their local market. And I tried that myself right at the beginning, and I got frustrated by all the all the tricks that the local dealers have. I'm I'm in Montreal, so there are about four or five big guys here, and they just hoovered up all the big collections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way I can get collections from outside the area so I'm not competing with the same four guys. <laughs> no coincidence. And <laughs> um, and so I just built this website. I started building it in uh, October 2012, and Google loves us. We get about uh, 450,000 page views a month, mm. um, and we're just primarily trying to help people. And and most our, our typical customer is not somebody who has a collection uh, that they know exactly what they've got. It's mostly people that don't know what they've got and they just need help. I always enjoy, you know, finding that rare find here and there, like some uh, garage sale or, uh, you know, an antique shop or anything else. But even though there's some times where I know that they don't know what they are worth and I'm buying it and I'm sitting there feeling super guilty that mm-hmm. I'm getting it for this deal – but it's cool that you're providing that kind of a service to um, help people. Well, yeah, and, and there's there's another side to the to the coin. Actually, when I started this website, I thought to myself, I want a quick way for people to be able to check values. So I just linked to eBay, um, and we get uh, about half our traffic actually is for people who are actually looking for research for prices before they buy on eBay. Mm-hmm. So that was a kind of unintended side effect of it um and we started publishing top 50 most valuable golden age top 50 silver age and so on and then just expanded from there and now we have pages on on most major superhero titles and um romance uh, horror you name it what do you think to get some of the most traffic on from that from those things uh the hot 100 is is our our most successful project ever it just just based on the amount of time it takes me to to do it once a year it's uh the hundred books which i think are the most likely to increase in value in the next 12 months Mm -hmm. and uh i started it in march last year i think and it's by far the the most popular part of our website we get tons of page views 
and yeah, it's just it's just great. I, people people love it, and you know I get hassled by by readers to say, "Can you do it once a month?" I was like, "No, <laughs> it takes That's me a lot of work. It takes me ten days full time just to to update it." Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, the Hot One Hundred is really awesome though. I love doing it. No, it is. It's really good because I've looked at that and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, because I do a lot of the stuff, hit the yard sales, antique stores, you name it, the oddball places. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, Ashley talked about that or, oh, yeah, that's one I definitely need to be getting. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, key issues that dealers even aren't aware of now because the, the market has changed so much. Mm. You know, 20 years ago. It was the same hundred books that were on the wall, and now you know if you find a dealer that knows what they're doing, that that wall looks very different to how it did twenty years ago. Okay. There are books that have been featured in movies or just the cut scenes at the end of a Marvel movie or something. Um, remember all the fuss about the Vulture being in the Homecoming movie started mm-hmm. way back when it was in a, the Vulture's wings were in a cut scene at the end of another movie, and that started the rumor mill, and so. Uh, for a while, um, ASM two is hotter than ASM one uh, because the speculation was was rife. People were jumping on that book, mm-hmm. and there are tons of tons of books like that. I can think of like Marvel two in one sixty one. I think it's like a uh, a female Adam Warlock or something. That issue and it, it's mm-hmm. it's literally a quarter bin book that's now a key. Yeah, and and people just can't keep up. So my job partly is just to keep up with it and to keep people informed using our newsletters or. Uh, YouTube videos. It was like you say, it's changed in the last 20 years because now everybody wants that key, that first appearance of whomever it might be now. Yep, that's what I'm dealing with right now with uh, Adam Warlock has always been one of my favorite characters, uh, Marvel characters anyway. And since they announced, they said, um, I'll call him Adam at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I actually snagged a, uh, what is it, Thor 165. I think Mm -hmm. that's the number. And um, since I've grabbed it, I grabbed it for 40. I'm seeing it go for like 100 now within like a month of me buying it. And I'm just like, okay, this is crazy. Yeah, there's that. There's that book. There's um, FF 66 and 67. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what's the other Adam Warlock? Um, There's actually a Death of Adam Warlock (laughs) book in Hulk. I think it's Hulk 178. Yeah. That's that's kind of hot now too. And that's what I'm seeing a lot. I see that. Not everyone's able to find copies of the first appearance or second appearance or first cameo or whatever, so they they jump on any other book that's that's kind of relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Adam Warlock is is a really hot character at the moment. It's good for me. I own a lot of Adam Warlock. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> awesome. So for you personally, um, what kind of comics are you into? Well, I. Hmm. <laughs> that's a that's a really good question. I I could answer it very differently a month ago. A month ago, <laughs> I am a key issue collector, but I also have an eye for some weird stuff like um, pre code horror. Oh yeah, I love like old EC. Yeah, EC is a little bit average, I think, for pre code horror. I, I'm not always. I mean, that the internal artwork is fantastic, but the covers are not always that exciting. Mm-hmm. There are some really great covers that, you know, obviously were <laughs> a little inappropriate for children. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of Crime Suspense 22 or, or yeah. um, there's another one. I can't remember the, which one it was. Crime Does Not Pay, but where he's setting her hair on fire on, on top of the stove. Um, I think it's Crime Does Not Pay 15 or something. And there's just so many ridiculously gross covers. 
and yeah we've just been lucky enough to find some collections that have had them in and i just think you know uh, when i started this project i thought to myself every time i buy a collection i just want to keep one book you know i may maybe it's a thousand in the collection maybe it's 300 books in the collection just want to keep one book mm. and it didn't work for for three years i was literally living hand to mouth trying to make it work and just recently i started keeping the odd book here and there so i'm kind of proud that i have a hulk one that Hulk was always my favorite character. Uh, it, and, you know, to own a Hulk one, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a 4-0, big deal, right? But it, it's still, for me, an ultra cool book. Yeah. Um, but I've been doing a lot of reading lately um, about setting life goals and how most people's life goals are set too low because they want to achieve them. It's kind of like when you make a to-do list of your life goals, do you put put out the cat and buy milk. No, you don't. But that's that's what people kind of do when they set life goals. They set things like, you know, have a hundred grand in the bank or something. Uh, and it's meaningless. Money is really meaningless when it comes down to it. You know, especially when you're on your deathbed, it doesn't really, it hasn't done anything for you. Can't it take create, it with you. You can't take it with you. Ask, ask Steve Jobs. Um, yeah, exactly. But But it doesn't create any memories either. That's the thing about money. Like money for money's sake doesn't create memories. You don't think, oh, yeah, I got a check in the, in the mail for 50 grand. I'm really happy about that. No, it's, it's what you do with money that counts, right? So um, recently I was reading this book. It's called You're a Badass at Making Money. It's an awesome book. I, I recommend it to anybody. Um, it's by a, a, an author called Jen Sincero. And it's just about how to, to focus on projects that are going to make you wealthy and then the, the big question that she asks you is the why, you know, dig down to, to the why because the how comes after you find the why. Mm -hmm. And then I thought to myself, you know, I love Batman. Batman is my all-time favorite character. And so if I'm going to set myself a real world-breaking goal, what is it going to be? So uh, it's kind of embarrassing to say this out loud because I'm, I'm still not sure about the how, but the, the why, the what is um, Detective 27 to 37. Mm. Unrestored in uh, fine or better. Wow. Ooh. So <laughs> that's, that's a pretty pretty hefty yeah. goal. Yes. It is. You gotta you're gonna have some hurdles to jump over for that one. Yeah, I'm buying lottery tickets. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh well that, that's cool. Um so when you were a kid, did you were you always into comics since you were a kid, or was this something that you got into later on in life? Yeah, my mum had twins when I was about seven years old, and I was always a reader. I was I was a prolific reader at a young age, and I would read anything, and I mean anything. Like if there was just a TV guide, there was nothing else. I would read the TV guide. Um, and one day we were walking past an antique store in London, and I saw this um, old stroller. I don't know if you remember. There's a brand called Silver Cross. It was like a. Uh, it's like something out of a creepy horror movie, actually. It's one of those big metal strollers with huge oh, wheels. Yeah. yeah, Mary Poppins type thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Loaded with Silver Age Marvels, and they were a penny each. Oh, and wow. so mm. I just, instead of buying candy every week, I just went and bought Silver Age Marvels and, and just read them cover to cover until they fell apart. Yeah. Um, so it started quite young. And then uh, my best friend and I used to watch the um, the reruns of Adam West and Burt Ward after oh. after school every day. So that kind of cemented it. Yeah. Um, what else? There was the Hulk. The Hulk was on TV as well when I was about that age too. It's just mm -hmm. uh, 
Lufrino. Uh, I don't know if he's, how do you say his name, but um, that's correct. Yeah, Frigno, Thank you. Yeah, that that TV show was just like it was. I mean, looking back, it's terrible, but at the time, it was awesome. No, it was awesome. Then with that soundtrack, you know, with it and everything, it was fun. You know, it was a great. No, that was a great time. That don't forget uh, Linda Carter. <laughs> right. Yeah, Wonder Woman, and and there was Six Million Dollar Man as well, which I kind yep. of count in the same kind of ballpark, right? Yeah, it is. So yeah, so I was I was a fan-ish, but I wasn't a collector. I was just a reader. Yeah, that's how it always starts, man. Yeah. Uh, some of my case was a little different, but yeah, I mean everyone's different. Um, so um, with the uh, website now, um, what are some of the uh, biggest hurdles you had to overcome to make it happen? Well, uh, it's it's kind of like. It's like any project that that hasn't really got a defined outcome. You just know you want it to succeed. And it's like writing a book or or composing a, a film score or painting a, a portrait or something. You you have to have faith when you're doing it that it's going to work. So, I mean, I've been doing websites since 2005, so I have some other successes behind me, but nothing major. But you know, you know, I've, I've made a living at it, um, and so I had the skill set, but. I looked around the internet, and what I saw was lots of big, big websites like, uh, well, GCD is special, but um, something like Comic Vine, mm-hmm. which is enormous, very, very impressive, but not very useful. Like, what is it for, really? Um, and then I looked a little further, I looked at, at uh, the websites of comic book dealers, and I'd say they are stuck in the 90s. Mm-hmm. putting you it know. nicely <laughs> yeah you know like, I, I don't want to talk talk about anyone in particular mm-hmm. but i have not seen i mean some of them actually look quite nice now some a few of the the more modern guys have actually paid for a decent looking design and so on and i'd say heritage is actually a, a very awesome site for research i mean it, mm-hmm. you know they've got they've sold pretty much everything at least once um, and so for prices and just for just seeing images of stuff you wouldn't see anywhere else. But no one really was doing a good job of, of providing information to people who would come across collections. So I figured it was an opportunity uh, and it was possible. And so basically I just rolled up my sleeves and just worked like a dog, mm-hmm. um, doing what I do best and just putting the hours in. There's really no no magic bullet I didn't get bitten by a spider while I was writing a page or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'll say one thing. You know, since I've uh, been visiting your site, I now when I go to look at comics, I look at them so much differently now. Uh, particularly, I look like, okay, does that you know have color breaks in it? What 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 can I do with this comic? Can I can I take this home, press it, and give it a better value? Um, something completely different that I do now when I go to shops and wherever it might be. Because that's one of the th- things you also offer is you have your pressing course, which I had uh, taken through you guys. And I got to say, it's it's really fabulous. Well, thanks. Uh, there's there's an origin story to that if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> um, well, when I, w- when I started out, I was working alone. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm working with uh, Sean Goodrich now. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone doesn't know who he is, he used to work for Comic Link uh, for six years as the auction coordinator. So... Mm-hmm. He's he's a very experienced guy, and he taught me pretty much everything I know about the actual ins and outs of dealing in comic books. Um, but the pressing thing, I started on my own. He was still uh, 
working for Comic Link at the time, and I wasn't—I uh, was friends with him, like because I was a client. That was it. You know, we just ch- chatted on the phone, and I was pretty much like flying solo. And so I said to him, you know, what's this fuss about pressing comics? And he said, well, it's really, really mysterious. There's nothing online. If you go on, at the time, if you went online and did a search for pressing comic books, there was nothing. And nobody uh, wants to share that. It's like the secret. Yeah, well, it was, I guess, because there's so much money to be made offering it as a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, he said to me, I don't know how, how to do it, but it can't be that difficult. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? So, oh, it really isn't. No. So, so I ordered a T-shirt press off of eBay, one of those basic ones with the arm that swings down, and you just have to kind of push it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got some silicon release paper, but I don't remember where from. It was a long time ago now. And just as Providence would have it, it the stars were all aligned. An old lady contacted me from Pennsylvania to say that she had a box of Spider-Man comics. And I said, okay, great. And she said, uh, there are 400 Spider-Man comics. I'm great. And I said, they're all issue 124. (laughs) And it turned out that it was a a distributor return. And Mm. they'd been sprayed with water. Um, I think, you know, you you see paint over spray on books a lot. But the the other thing they used to do was spray them down with water. Mm -hmm. So what I had here was 400 copies of the same book in exactly the same conditions that have been stored in the same place. Uh, most of them had rusty staples. Most of them had water damage, but they were identical. So I had the perfect practice batch. I had, yeah. I could, I could set the temperature different levels. I could leave it in longer, leave it in less. Uh, I could press it with more pressure or less pressure. And so I basically learned how to press comics with amazing Spider-Man 124. Um, in my shed in, in, in Montreal for mm-hmm. three months in, in winter. It was really cold. And if you turn on the press too too much, with, when the, the heater was switched on at the same time, the whole uh, power circuit would blow. I'd have to go in through the snow to the house and switch it all back on. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and, and the side effect of this is that I hate the cover of Amazing Spider-Man 124 because I saw it so often. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you ever get one in for press? And you just kind of like, Sean, this is yours. <laughs> uh, I can't even I can't even look at it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really goofy story too i don't know if you've ever read it but um yeah it's actually a two-part story and i haven't read the second part it's 125 is the second part and i just i just no, can't do it yeah. i don't want to know how it turns out <laughs> had enough of it yeah but, yeah. but yeah, consequently sean and i decided that we were going to teach people how to press because you know it's a bit much now the, the industry is is almost like protectionism over this whole pressing thing and and the companies that offer it have enormous waiting lists Mm -hmm. you know if you have a book you want pressing today and you're not prepared to pay for a fast track or whatever they call it it's going to take three months to come back yeah it's fun because you know i got the press i watched the videos i'm at home practicing you know i put it out there that i've you know i'm starting to do all this I couldn't keep up with the messages that I got. Hey, you're pressing. Hey, I got these issues. I got this stack. I got this long box. I got this storage unit. It's like, uh, I haven't even pressed any of my own stuff yet, guys. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. It's like, oh, my gosh. How about I quit my job, it looks like. <laughs> well, you probably could if you, uh, you open up shop. But, uh, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of haters out there, too. Um, yeah. We've been advertising the course on Facebook, and there's been there's been quite a lot of, of messages from people who think we are uh, the devil's servants for even mentioning pressing and how it's restoration and so on and so on. 
you know. And but if CGC doesn't, you know, if CGC doesn't call it restoration, then how yeah. can it be? Exactly. I mean, it, it goes through them just fine. They don't call it it. So, you know what? It's good to go because, you know what? We know they do it themselves. Yeah, so the course is, is a digital course. It, it's available for lifetime access. There's no time limits or anything like that. And it's about two and a half hours of, of videos. We, we do like a sort of rogues gallery of books that have damage that we're going to fix. And then we show the before and after and we show how to, to um, hydrate them first. And um, Because a lot, of, a lot of damage won't come out unless the book is hydrated because it's dried out. Um, also, the, one of my favorite parts of the course is how to fix spine roll because spine roll mm-hmm. is such a dramatic looking fault that when you fix the, the book just looks like a totally different book um it is so i mean i did a spine roll recently and when i was done with it, i was like oh my god this is the same book <laughs> i know it looks crazy eh? yeah it is oh because what i ended up doing is i uh when my comic book shops they were giving away 10 comics uh, to each person that showed up. They had all these long boxes. So I went through there, found a bunch of Bronze Age, uh, the Warlord issues. It's like, okay, these are my practice issues. And one of them was spiraled so bad. But when I was done with it, I was like, oh yeah, baby, this is awesome. I think it's just it's just a nice thing to do for your own books. You don't have to, to do it with any kind of commercial angle at all. You know, just, just if you're keeping a run of, of something and, and you have some issues that have like nasty creases or something that, or a corner that just keeps springing back. It's really frustrating to me when I have a a, a book in a bag and you can see the corner is sprung up, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how many times you fix it, the the thing kicks out the the plastic and yeah. just just have that, have the ability to fix that for yourself and not have to send it off to some company. Mm-hmm. Y- y'all fix comics, you do everything else. You have these top one hundred lists, which you talked about the top, uh, the hot. What is it? The uh, 100 hot comics list and everything. Mm-hmm. But you have lists of like everything, like top horror comics, top copper age, modern age, uh, romance. I've actually been sitting here uh, poking through the gallery of the best pre-code horror comics. And um, you see all kinds of really cool stuff. So what kind of inspires you to uh, do one of these top 100s? Is it just something on a whim or do you take advice from other people or how does it work? I wish it was some kind of divine intervention or I, I could claim some, some sort of network of advisors. It's just keyword research. Okay. And, and so um, I'm, I'm trying to create – remember what I said at the beginning. I'm trying to create an almanac. So it, wants to, it has to be as comprehensive as possible. And so if I, it's more like, okay, what's, what's missing from the website? So I'll give you an example. At the moment, we're still missing Tales to Astonish, I think. Maybe it's Tales of Suspense. Now, one, one of the two. I wanted to have, of course, the key issues that are listed out in the Iron Man page and so on. But I wanted to have a comprehensive page, and there's 101 issues. So, okay, it's a lot of work, but it's not a year of work. It's a day of work. So then when I know I want to do, let's say, Tales to Astonish, then I do keyword research to find the best keyword for Tales to Astonish and then when that's like crunch it through my keyword research tools and then whatever's the best comes out I create a page and it really is that simple um the ones that you see on the left of the website the the top 100 and the top 50 and so on um a little bit more general if you think about it like the best horror comics is a kind of a general keyword it doesn't really apply to any one series you wouldn't do a um, Tales from the Crypt um, 
uh, page with based on that keyword because it just doesn't really fit. It's not specific enough. So when I get a good keyword that doesn't really fit a title, then I have to try and find a way to make it work with a with an article. And I'm a journalist first and foremost, so actually I actually enjoy that more because it's a challenge. Um, it's pretty easy to say, okay, I'm going to write a page about Tales of the Crypt. But when you want to do something with best horror comics, what do you do? Do you do the best, most valuable, or do you do the, the grossest covers or what? So that's how I decide what I'm going to publish. And I wish it was more exciting and more fun and more, more quirky, but that's it's basically numbers when it comes down to it. Very cool. So, so – oh, go ahead, Red. No, and I was just going to ask. So what is uh, the future of uh, semi-comic books? Uh, what can, I was gonna... Yeah, I was going to say, what can we see in the future? What's uh, anything new and exciting coming out? Well, there are a few things. Um, we've had a few of our, our students say that they want a course on how to make money buying and selling comics using eBay. Um, hmm. the, the, the problem with that, it's a really good idea and I have thought about it, but the problem with it is that it's a pretty big topic. Yeah. So to create a course that's going to be comprehensive enough to be useful is, is going to be really a lot of work. Um, and I also think that there's probably other people out there doing something the same, but maybe not relating to comic books. You know, they're probably doing how to make money on eBay period. So we'd be competing with them. So Mm -hmm. I could see that being slightly more of a challenge, but I'm kind of up for a challenge. I like, I like a challenge. Um, there's plenty more pages. I've got articles that I've, I've been holding onto for a while. Um, there's one actually we just added the the Canadian Whites, which is the the World War Two Canadian comics. That's a really cool subset mm-hmm. of of World of uh, Golden Age. Um, no, there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff I haven't published yet. But what really what's really new is that we're going to be launching a pressing service, mm-hmm. and um, we just decided that you know there enough of our students have taken the course and said yeah I really like the course, but I just haven't got the time to do it myself. Um, some people were put off by the price of a press. You know, it, it, the course is sixty-seven bucks, and the presses can be six hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, it's just it takes a lot of space. It takes a lot of discipline. Um, you know, Sean is changing the presses every two three hours, and and so we're pressing about a hundred books a day just for ourselves and. Um, we just want to, as an experiment, try offering a pressing service, and we're going to change the model because the current model seems a bit ridiculous. So this is how we see it. You have the companies doing what they've been doing for years, and fair enough, good luck to them, and people are happy with the service, but it takes a long time to come back. And uh, it just feels to me like they made up the pricing on the back of a napkin over dinner Mm -hmm. sometime right so it doesn't actually take any more effort to press a book that's worth ten thousand dollars versus a book that's worth two hundred dollars but they charge 2.5 percent of fair market value for the for the privilege oh i know i was like why (laughs) i guess you could argue okay let's say detective 27 came in and you know you'd want to handle that with extreme care and and, you know (laughs) how often do you get to press one of those but it's really no different it's really no different. It's still a comic book and it still needs silicon release paper and it still needs a certain temperature and certain amount of pressure and you've got to clean it obviously very carefully. But 
there's really not that much difference. So what we're going to do is have two services only. Instead of all these different layers of service and turnaround time and everything, you're going to have your basic, like we're going to call it a lightning press, which is just the quick press for eBay. Uh, or you might want to submit it to CGC, but the cleaning part of that is optional. Mm-hmm. So not every book needs cleaning. So we're not baking that into the price. What we're saying is if you want it cleaned, it's, it's another fee for cleaning that book. That's just the, the, the lightning press. Then every other book is the same price. Mm-hmm. And if you want to jump the queue, there's going to be a, a walkthrough. But when I say walkthrough, I mean real walkthrough. Not, oh, well, if you pay the, 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 the fast track fee, it'll be two weeks instead of 10 weeks. No, it'll be the same day service. So that's what the future is. <laughs> now, whether it was going to work or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There are lots of competitors out there, but we certainly have the experience and, and the, we really think we're, we're capable of making this a service that people are going to want to use. Yeah, I mean, plus, I think you guys got enough presses. <laughs> you had, what, like 16 of them or something like that? Yeah, although we are already talking about expanding because if we are <laughs> going to do this, we can't afford to stop pressing our own stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, we uh, we just submitted, uh, I think it was 700 books to CGC the other day. Mm. Wow. So we have to keep that, that momentum going for our, our main business. Everything else is, is a side business, really. Um, but yeah, we're prepared to increase the pressing capacity and hire staff if we have to. That's cool. Yeah. And we, we, we wanted to say how proud we are that we, we were made over Street Advisors this year. Um, I'm going to be hoping to do that every year from now on, of course. Um, I want to write a book about comic book investing because we have a lot of articles about investing on the site. Mm-hmm. And what really bugs me about comic book investing is that people sort of somehow regard it as, as it's an unclean habit. You know, um, It's just bizarre to me. The thought that you could you could buy comic books and maybe pay thousands of dollars for them and not be at all concerned about what they'd be worth one day. I just don't believe people think that way. Not anymore, no. Yeah, and, and, and so when people are like on Facebook are hating people who are talking about investing, I mean, investors are bringing more money into the hobby that would otherwise not be here. And to an extent, that money trickles down. And you take away all the investors and speculators out of the out of the market and leave it pure again for the for the hobbyists, and books would collapse in value overnight. I just think you know the genie's out of the bottle. You've got, you've got to allow that to happen, and you've got to be cool with that. And so the first chapter of this book I haven't written yet is going to be stop with all this like nonsense about comic books are not investment. Of course they are. In fact, I, I would argue that comic books haven't matured uh, as a collectible yet because they're only 75 years old. Stamps took 100 years before they became really mm-hmm. established as, as collectibles and stamps regularly break, break a million dollar sales all over the world. Every month, probably, there's a million dollar sale in the philatelic market and comic books still way undervalued oh i agree completely so you know speaking about investors and everything else that are going on with comp- um recently there was a, a totally awesome hulk issue i think it was number 22 that everyone just started going bananas about and it was supposed to be for the uh, first appearance of uh weapon h uh alpha i guess you could say I went to many, many different shops in my area because I wanted to grab just a copy just in case. 
and um, I found one shop that had one issue left, and it was insane. Just like, and then even afterwards, all my buddies that were into comic collecting, everything, they were all buying it up and everything else. From you being someone that's you know into investment for comics, and you, this is like basically one of the main things you do. How do you feel? Like about like uh, comics nowadays, I guess everyone thinks that, oh, this could be the next big one. This could be the next big one. And like you said, you appreciate it the inve- from the investment point. But do you feel like there are more modern comics that are starting to come back now that are actually holding value beyond the uh, initial uh, just buy and grab, I guess? This is this is what I feel about this. Um, we don't even look at books after about. 1992 except for walking dead so when a list comes in that's mostly 90 90s and onwards i barely give it any time because it, it's really a minefield um you know and and you're you're looking at a list of you know some poor guy has has either inherited or bought all these things and kept them for 20 years and they're mostly worthless um the time it would take for me to dig out those those few books that are worth and is he going to sell them at that point you know is he going to even be interested in the fact that you know he's got 10 books that are worth 20 bucks each and the rest are worth a quarter if you're lucky um and i just think that speculating in this way on on modern books although i did look this one up as you were talking i have to find out what it is um it's risky and it's risky because there's no really reliable way to find out how many there are of, of something. Um, the more modern a book, generally speaking, the better that it's been looked after because since about 1985 or 1990, the latest, people would just buy them, bag them, board them straight away yeah. for the most part. Um, actually, some of my, my most amusing research is, is finding the lowest graded copies of, of modern key issues like uh, New Mutants 98. You know, to find a CGC 2.0, someone actually sent that to CGC. That's really funny. Um, but yeah, so so this kind of thing, yeah, you know, it's 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 what it's pocket change really. When you come when it comes down to it, it's not going to bankrupt anybody. When when you're buying those modern variants for thousands of dollars, I just think, first of all, we don't know how many there are, and second of all, what else could you buy for that? I mean, let's just say this is your comic book budget for the year. What else could you be buying? You could buy a really nice copy of Avengers 1 for that price. Mm-hmm. And just, what is it, 45 years older or something? It's it's crazy to me that – and I understand people get swept away by the fact, oh, this is a special variant cover by somebody like uh, Romita or something. But I just stay well away from it. I just think that it's too uncertain and, you know, the bubble bursts really, really fast when it does. Um, yeah, even Batman Adventures 12, which is an undeniable key issue, which was hitting about 2,400 at, at one point, is now at 1,600 and 9,8. And, you know, it's it's holding steady at that price. And I think Harley Quinn definitely has a big future. But some of these modern keys, so-called keys, that get really hot really quickly just – disappear overnight and so does the money that's gone into them so i'd say do what you enjoy i mean i know this is kind of a twee thing that old dealers say all the time but don't uh, don't gamble too much on modern books i find it's it's too risky there's too many um failures 
to successes. And I think, you know, if you want to put money into a book as an investment, look at Silver Age or Golden Age. I'm sick. I agree with you there. Actually, I've been working on Bronze Age myself because I figure two more years, Bronze Age hits 50. You know, I, I'm just mm. working right now on Bronze Age because I think, personally, I think that you're going to see an incline in the uh, price of those things. Right. The, the one thing I would say about that, um, as a as a dealer that buys all over the states, is that I have never ever been sold a collection of Silver Age duplicates. You know, like when you you buy six hundred books and and there's like a whole run of something with two copies of each. I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. I've seen it multiple times in the Bronze Age. Yeah. So you know, in the seventies, people had started laying up multiple copies of something thinking we actually bought a collection that had 104 copies of Shazam number one. Oh my God. Yeah. That's another book I can't look at, <laughs> but you know, it just shows you that there are many more, obviously it makes sense, right? The, the, the newer a book is, the more likely it is there's lots of them out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, bronze age, there's definitely, I think there's definitely opportunities in the bronze age. I think you have to, yeah. to think a little bit differently, you know, like there's mm-hmm. so many obvious keys. Yeah. Some of them are, are tough in high grade. You know, like I was thinking, like a run of uh, Marvel team up in high grade would be a really good thing to put together because, you know, those are the kind of issues that suddenly pop a key when, when a new movie comes out or something and they, they pick a random, seemingly random um, villain or, or hero to bring in from seemingly nowhere. And it's usually in one of those those compendium titles. Oh, another tip for people listening to this is uh, Spider-Man ASM 20 is um, first appearance of the Scorpion mm-hmm. and the Scorpion was in the cutscene at the end of Homecoming. So there's pretty strong rumors that Scorpion's going to feature in the next Spider-Man movie. See, this is good advice right here. You better go start uh, grabbing him, uh, Michael. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to find is a decent copy of Wonder Woman 204. It's the first appearance of Nubia. It's hard to find a decent copy. It really is. One woman alone is is difficult, but that issue at the first appearance of her, all of a sudden, I don't know what it is. Probably because of the last movie, it's jumped up. But even though it's jumped up, I cannot find a decent quality issue. Wonder Woman's an incredibly tough title. Yeah, That's... some of some of the highest graded copies in the Silver Age are like seven O. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. See, yeah. and that's weird to me because you know, um, like. I guess there's not many key issues in the Wonder Woman run to begin with, is there? No. No? There wasn't many first appearances that were, I guess, um, highly regarded or anything? Actually, uh, Nubia is the only really big one out of there, other than her first appearance with Steve Rogers, or Steve... uh, I can't think of any. But, you know, that's it. There's not too much. But DC as a whole, when it comes to Bronze Age and earlier, they're just tough to find and in good condition. Yeah, when you get a collection that crosses over from DC and Marvel in almost any era, the DC are lower grade. Same same collector, same owner, same condition, storage, DC are lower grade. And I think that the paper quality was less. That's the only the only explanation that makes any sense. You know, I'll get a stack of, of, of books from the same seller and, and they're a grade lower, usually. Yeah. Weird. Super weird. 
that and then there's the old guys like uh, Red Skull when he was a kid that uh, or Michael <laughs> when he was a kid that would roll up the comic and put it in his back pocket, squish yeah. it and everything else. I think all of us did that as a kid. Come on. I told you my horror stories from when yeah. I was a kid, even though there weren't really uh, any good issues. I those things were taped back together. Yeah, pretty nothing, bad. Nothing a good pressing can't sort, sort out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. So, um, Red, do you have any uh, final questions? No, I think I'm good unless you had something. Uh, no. Um, is there anything that you want to promote real fast? Well, I've, I've, got, I've offered the pressing course to your audience for the same price as our internal list gets it, which is $67. That's a, that's a discount over the, the Facebook price. There's a link that you guys can publish on your website wherever. Um, just come and check out our website, sellmycomicbooks.com. Um, and write us a letter if you if you like what you see just send us an email it really is nice to hear from people you know that's that's something that gets a bit lonely sometimes you know and <laughs> um, Facebook's mostly for trolls so people who actually take two minutes out of their day to send me an email to say hey I really like your website that really makes my day because it's a lot of work and it is a labor of love and um, I'm proud of what I've achieved you know and, and Sean is is a great business partner and, and we have an office now with staff and so we're, we're creating jobs here and uh, yeah, just I'm just really happy of what we're doing, and I hope people enjoy the website and and say hi. Awesome! Uh, you heard it. It's uh, sellmycomicbooks.com. Yep, click um, the link below on on this podcast. Uh, yeah, we'll have there. it in the description. It's if you haven't noticed it already, just scroll down a little bit and you'll find it. But um, thanks again for coming on the show. I mean, it's been great talking to you. I mean, it's super cool with the services that you offer and your website looks great. I want to be able to tell you that. Well, thank you so much. And, and uh, anytime you want to do a, a podcast on uh, like investment comic tips or something, I'll be happy to come back. Awesome. We're going to have to look into that. Maybe we'll have to do a little bit of uh, research for ourselves and then pull you on and then you can tell us how wrong we are. <laughs> I'm sure you won't be that wrong. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot. All guys. right. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. Have a great evening.